Are you a military service member or veteran struggling with insomnia? A new study is investigating a non-drug therapy program that you can receive from your computer or a smartphone. If you find it difficult to fall or stay asleep or feel tired throughout the day, internet-guided cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia may be a treatment worth exploring. If you or a loved one is a current or former military service member, has had a head injury, and are between the ages of 18 and 64, you might qualify for this study. Call or text 301-456-5474 or head on over to militaryveterandad.com forward slash sleep. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 154. I am your host, Ben Colloy, and as always, we got another jam-packed episode for you this week. We've got a theme coming up here with the next few episodes about personal freedom, finance, and really setting up your life to have a width so you can see yourself in a different light. And today's episode is no different from all the other episodes because today we dive into some core truths of the military, our transition, our transition in, our transition out. And like I said, Tyson, who is our guest today, just brings a jam-packed episode with a great story of his life. Let me tell you a little bit about Tyson and who he is. At the age of 13, Tyson became an entrepreneur for the very first time. He opened a snowball stand in his small hometown. This was the first taste of financial independence, and he was hooked. By 20, Tyson was a helicopter pilot in the Army. Although making more than he ever had, he was also the most in debt. Thanks to Desert Storm and the inability to spend money on anything, he paid down that debt another financial lesson learned. After leaving the military and with the GI Bill funds in hand, Tyson earned a bachelor's degree in English and a master's degree in philosophy. Faced with few job prospects, however, Tyson turned to IT. He spent 25 years in the software development world, worked for several large corporations, and then he founded the organization that brought him to us today on Trajectory.com, a personal finance tool for both consumers and professionals. Tyson's new life goal is to bring easy, and accurate financial modeling to everyone. I've had a chance to check out On Trajectory, and it's a great tool because you immediately log into this thing, and it gives you this cliff, essentially showing you how long everything you've got is going to last and showing you where it is going to fall apart. And as the title suggests, are you on trajectory to hit your goals? So without further ado, let's get started with my episode with Tyson Casca. And as always, hang on to the other side of this interview for my big takeaway. Welcome to the podcast, Tyson. We are going all the way out to Baltimore, Maryland, and we're going to be talking to a U.S. Army helicopter pilot about his like transition out, going through the process that we talk about a lot in this podcast, but he has kind of a unique place where he's ended up. And so, Tyson, I'm really excited to hear your story today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. So let's go all the way back because your story started when you were 20 and you became a helicopter pilot. Tell me back then, what were you looking for? What was what were you looking for in your life that you thought, you know what, the US Army has exactly what I want? Yeah, that was a really weird time in my life. I grew up lower middle class, uh, 
like a lot of people. And, uh, but I grew up lower middle class in a neighborhood or a part of the part of the state where there was a lot of upper middle class around. So when I graduated high school, we had, I don't know, more than, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but all my friends were going away to college. Their parents were supporting them. They were living in the dorms. They were, you know, doing exactly what you kind of picture upper middle class kids, high school kids to be doing. Uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to be in that situation. Uh, growing up, my dad was a Baltimore County police officer. My mom was a waitress. She worked a lot of night shifts. He worked a lot of night shifts. I babysat my little brother growing up. It was um, just not the same as a lot of my friends and in my peer group. So they all had these plans to go off. And I applied. I remember I applied for a four-year ROTC scholarship at uh, Virginia Tech. And I was sure I was going to get it. And I didn't get it. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do? And my dad had been in the military. My grandfather had been in the military. And I thought, well, maybe I'll, you know, do the military and GI Bill. And, you know, that'll give me that way. I won't have to work full time while I'm in college. So I went to the recruiter and the recruiter said, well, you know, let's get you in, take the ASFAB test, et cetera, et cetera. Scores came back. And he said, uh, we have a special program uh, where you can go from high school to flight school. And, uh, you know, would you be interested in that? I wonder how much the army paid for that tagline. <laughs> I don't know. This was Too a long probably. time ago. Yeah. High school to flight school. And I don't even know if the program still exists to be honest, but this is back in, well, I guess this is like my senior year of high school because I was looking, cause I had no backup plan. And so I ended up, um, taking a year applying to this program and actually getting disqualified at some point and fighting back and getting accepted and um, crazy. So the interview, so there's a board, there was a colonel, there was a captain, there was a lieutenant on this board and uh, you walk in and they try to knock you off, off balance. As soon as you walk in, you're trying to see how you handle pressure. And, you know, I'm a 18 year old kid and there's these three beanbags on the desk. And they said, Hey, um, you know, really thanks for coming in. Glad you're interested in the program. See those beanbags juggle them. And I was like, wow, that's a tall order. Now what they didn't know is that I had taught myself how to juggle when I was 15 years old. So I picked up the beanbags. I started juggling them. They each looked at each other and said, uh, okay, uh, put them down, put them down. And I realized that the dynamic in the room shifted. I was supposed to be off balance. Now they were off balance. In any case, it, it's not that important. But the, the point is that it was not easy to, to get into this program. So that was why I, I joined the program because it was an incredible opportunity. Go from high school, high school, basic training, warrant officer candidate school, OH-58 pilot uh, in all in one year. Oh, wow. One year? Yeah. That's a high sell and a high pressure environment. I can only, I mean, I'm sure the helicopters weren't sophisticated as they are now, but still, it's not something that I think like, I feel like right now it's like three or four years to to fly something now. Well, so I, again, it, things could have changed. Uh, obviously, it's, it's been a while since I was out. But uh, if you were flying either the OH-58 Kiowa or you were flying a Huey, you could go directly from, again, it's it's basic, then right into officer, warrant officer candidate school, then right into flight school. 
it is a little bit longer than a year, but it's about a year. Um, And as long as you're flying either 58 or the, or the Huey, you can go direct. Now, if you're doing Blackhawk, Apache, even Cobra, then um, you had subsequent school. And I, I think it took those guys about two years. I was a 58 pilot. So, so as a man that had a unique life growing up, saw the world differently than most, what was it the big takeaway out of that program that, you're, that you felt like was really adding to who you are? Did you like figure something out about yourself? I'm sure you figured out something about it, but I'm here just to kind of see and hear about that journey of like, what did that help you discover within probably that you didn't know you even had yourself? Yeah, for me, it was the fact that everything is doable. There's, mm. there's really nothing that you can't do. If you focus on it, you have the right mindset, you can do anything. And the, the army taught me that. I mean, there were times, you know, in flight school where it was just, you know, they were beating up on you. They're trying to get you to, to have a, a wrong attitude. But if you just focus and keep the right attitude, you can, you can literally do anything. You can go from high school to flight school and <laughs> be a 20 year old helicopter pilot in Korea. Like I was. <laughs> I love the attitude for that you can do anything because somewhere along the line, we, we don't get that often in just basic military service. I don't know if it comes, if it's kind of like tempered by like, you only can do what you're told. And so we kind of like tamper down where we could go. I know if like Marine, like in the Marine Corps, like there's kind of two people, there's people that are like just carving their own way and they don't really, they, they respect orders. But they're also at the same time, like they're carving the fine line right next to them. Then there's people like me that was almost, I was always a guy that followed the rules. I wasn't a guy that kind of like stand out. And I wasn't really looking to push that needle through like a leadership bubble or figuring out how I could grow or how fast I could grow or just like even going all in on professional development. That was like fear was something that still governed a lot of my life back then. Did you find that similar, any of that in your life? Um. I, I want to ask you a quick question before I answer that. Yeah. Did, didn't you learn, though, that you were capable of doing things you never imagined doing? I did things that I was never capable of imagining, but the word that I would season it with is the belief. Ah, that's interesting. Because you don't really have a choice. In boot camp, you're just doing these things. Mm. <laughs> you, you, you do them because you're told. Yeah. And what I've, I've noticed really looking back, especially because I still, for even in the Marine Corps and after the Marine Corps, I still had some of the same crappy thoughts. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize the success of doing those things. I didn't realize like the the gratitude or the accomplishment or feeling proud of myself. That was something that I struggled with in the corporate world of validating myself from the outside world and not having it met and then always trying to reach for more or like be validated by someone. So having it like never be enough, like that kind of just corrupted that I did a lot of great things, but none of it felt extraordinary or even remarkable just because I felt like an ordinary man. And I never was able to believe myself to be different than that. And then on reflection, things have changed. Oh, definitely. I still like, even now for me, when the Eagle Global Anchor was put in my hand, I use that as like this infinite power source. So like I carry the only good use for a challenge coin that I found is to carry it in my pocket. And and especially the ones that have the global anchor on it. I hold that when I get like, when I'm getting shaky and weary and overwhelmed, I grip that, it creates a physical feeling in my hand, creates a tension in my hand. And I remember back 
when that was placed in my hand for the first time and how infinite my my ability essentially was and is in that moment and also the heritage of all the marines that came before me these were things i learned but i didn't really believe that i had something in me because again there was a disconnect of doing big things and believing it that and i've never really put all this together before but <laughs> believing it never was something i had so connecting myself to all the marines before me and all the marines since then like that's something i walk around with and that wasn't something i acknowledged back then but now anytime i'm it's like for me driving a, a pound a stake in the ground like if i'm in a river and i feel like i'm getting swept away it's like sticking that rod in the ground so that the water flows around me but again it comes from that equal golden anchor moment when i became something more than i ever thought and now i believe it and now it, it's weird how i say it but I was a good Marine, but I didn't know how to be a Marine until probably 10 years after the Marine Corps. <laughs> because I was good at doing wow. the different things to be a Marine. Right. The mechanical. Mm -hmm. Mechanical parts. Yeah. But actually like flipping it into like believing to be a man of integrity, believing you're a man of commitment, believing you're a man of courage. That's a whole nother level to the to my journey of being a Marine. I mean, thank goodness you did. I mean, and I guess I'm, I'm sure there are people that don't, you know, they actually have the power. You used, you used the word infinite when you were holding the coin, that infinite power. Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously it's great that you did. It's bad if people don't, but for me, that, that moment did happen at the same time as, as going through all the shit. Um, I remember even, even, even in just basic training, I remember now I was never, I was never a high school athlete. I was always in bands playing music and chasing girls and stuff like that. And uh, um, I, I never considered myself very athletic. And, you know, when you start doing PT every day and you're just like pounding it out, pounding it out, my body changed and things were working a little bit better. And me and a couple of guys were, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know what we were doing. We were s screwing around at, during a, a break time and our drill sergeant who we had really bonded with, you know, through the, through this um, experience, he said, you see that drill sergeant over there, go over there and tell him you can't smoke a rock. And we're like, you can't smoke a rock. What does that even mean? And I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. It was brand new in, into the military. And so me and these two other guys ran down, they were like, drill sergeant, you can't smoke a rock. And he's like, oh, I can't get down, start doing push-ups, right? So he's literally, we're doing push-ups for like, you know, I'm, you're a Marine, like you know, forever. <laughs> right, forever. And we did push-ups so long and wouldn't give up. He's like, you tell me when to stop, that he got bored and left. And we, and we yelled at him, you can't smoke. And then we realized what it meant. You can't smoke a rock. You know, if it's mm -hmm. a rock. Yeah, we're the rocks and you can't right. smoke us. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it was, it was doing those kind of small things that never realized I could do. And like, oh man, I, I, I can do this stuff. Yeah, this is cool. The one thought that I would maybe add to our conversation or our tangent is I also had the desire to be invisible, probably because of, I didn't necessarily feel like I belonged there. Like I was being someone that I like was waiting to be found out. And so any of the times that I would grow through different things or accomplish different things, and there was different moments looking back, like there was one particular where we go up north for field week. And there was a moment where we were outside eating our MREs, essentially practicing eating, eating MREs, like you need practice eating those damn things. But uh, we were outside eating one at night. And all of a sudden, like we were asked to do something and I just broke and I, I just started crying. And eventually I got us all in trouble and we had to do something stupid. But essentially out of that, like, like that failure to just hold it all in, 
all the Marines around me got stronger and realized that there was a man falling behind. And so like, again, I didn't realize it in the moment, but now looking back, that was like this early lesson, like vulnerability isn't something that pushes people away. It brings people closer. And now that's something I talk about here regularly. And just, we just did together talking about these things that most people don't talk about openly on the internet, but it's that vulnerability that brings people closer. And so like, there's another lesson, like I didn't even realize like, Someone on the outside would have been like, oh, man, I can't believe you. That's so powerful what you did. I would have thought it was an ordinary thing, and I would have been ashamed probably. I did. I'm, I'm sure I felt ashamed in that moment because you don't fucking cry in boot camp, and here I am <laughs> crying in boot camp. And it's that type of shitty narrative that just gets you stuck. It, it, uh, it is so cool that you're talking about this stuff, you know, and let, putting yourself out there, talking about it because – for every person that's talking about it, there's a thousand people that are completely afraid to talk about it, makes them feel even more vulnerable or, or more invisible. I think you used the word invisible. Um, and you're like, hey, look at me. I'm not invisible anymore. And this is these are real human things that real humans go through. Yeah. And the fact that your buddies picked up the slack, filled in the gap. We're not even going to call it a gap. It's pick, you know, read the situation and 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 did what they needed to do to, to get everyone through. That's that is amazing. And you took, sounds like, you know, maybe not in the moment, but eventually you took the right lesson away from it. Yeah. And so I got out in 2007 and in 2014, kind of a similar swallowing it down moment of I was going to school. I was doing exactly what I was supposed to. And I dropped out of school because I failed two classes. And I was like, this isn't working. I need to just quit and give up. I didn't realize in that moment, but I was essentially quitting. I didn't call myself a quitter back then, but that quitting moment then had me like for the next six months figuring out, oh crap, I was supposed to fix everything. Now what? And so that like hitting rock bottom there allowed me to kind of reboot and relearn all these lessons. And now 20 or eight years later, it's all kind of come back together. And that was part of my, my message. My, I've made my mess, my message, as they say in professional speaking. <laughs> awesome. And now sharing it with everybody. And I'm a walking, yeah. talking oxymoron. I always describe that like I'm a Marine. I talk about my emotions regularly. I give good hugs. And I have no problem talking about any things regularly or crying in public. Like these are all things like I had a few friends early on, like, I don't, that's not the picture of a Marine that Marines don't cry. And I'm like, I hate to tell you that, but this Marine cries (laughs) and I hate to to break your stereotype that the commercials uh, paint Mm. of us, but there are more of us like us. We just don't come out of the woodwork very often. Break those stereotypes. Do it. Yeah. I want to go to an interesting question that I thought about in our questioning there. As you went through your military service, what were some of the lessons that allowed you to see that life was bigger? I think we kind of hit on it a little bit that you could do anything, but that feeling is often just a feeling, but like what really gave you the visibility to see how wide life could be and now creating and helping other people see the width in their life and making sure they're on target to hit their goals? I think a lot of that kind of idea the the width the width of the world or the the width of of one's life uh, and what what they the freedom to be what they can be you know my first so so i grew up in maryland i went to basic training in south carolina for jackson i went to uh, flight school down in uh, lower alabama which was kind of a different world for me at that point uh, fort rucker and then i immediately went to korea and then from Korea, I went to Germany. And then Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and I ended up in Saudi, and I ended up in Iraq. And then I went back to Germany, and then 
I got out and it was like, and I know, and I know guys that would go to a post, especially in Korea would go to the post and never leave the post. They would just be there all the time. They never you on Camp Humphreys? Uh, no, but I have been to Camp Humphreys. I was North of there, uh, in Dongduchan. Um, hmm. so Camp Casey, uh, but Dongduchan is the airfield next to Camp Casey is the one in the DMZ, right? Close, not not quite up, but there. it's like the one that that is part of the joint operations with the UN. Yeah, we that that they have to re, they have responsibility for flying the the no fly line, which I did, but just for fun, not as a mission. <laughs> I was in a I was in a, a cavalry unit, so um, taking the opportunity that the military gave me to see so much of the world and not just sit in the barracks and and you know go to the only go to the PX and, you know, only do that stuff, actually taking advantage of that opportunity and meeting people and talking to people on the economy. When I was in Germany, I lived on the economy. I didn't even live uh, on base. Uh, so um, yeah, I think that's, that's what gave me opened up my eyes to this gigantically awesome world that's out there. I think that's what we probably have similar in our context. So I grew up on a farm here in Southern Wisconsin. I lived under a rock there. I had my first Chinese when I was in Camp Lejeune to give you some uh, idea <laughs> of how much nuts. I didn't get to explore. I went to oh Florida once a couple of times. I went to Colorado on a vacation with our family. That was, a, I went to Vegas a few times with, to visit some grandparents. And that was really about my worldly experience. And then I joined the Marine Corps. And so then I get shipped to Camp Pendleton and then I get shipped to Camp or Camp Lejeune for my training. And then they sent me to Okinawa for three years. And so there I saw Korea four times. I went up to Camp Casey. I saw the Blue Houses and stood North Korea. I went to Philippines, saw Australia. I did a two-week vacation down there by myself oh, and just saw the world in a way like, wow, this is so big. Yeah. And then also later in life, I got a job with a company headquartered in Prague. And mm. there, so I went to, I think, nine times there in eight years. And so that also gave me a whole new perspective on culture, life. Yep. What we, what we accept is happiness, which is something which is pretty sad for the American dream. Like I, I, I almost uh, phrase it as like the average American dream is usually dressed up as the American hell, but we aren't, we're too afraid to kind of admit it, but it comes from that not having width and just not challenging what in definition of happiness looks like. And I think that's we really also wise. see like uh, a struggle to dream. Like that's what you probably also felt when you go see the world is you get width to dream bigger. And most people don't have that. Very good. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you right there. When you started seeing the world, I'm interested to see what some of those early dreams might have been. Like, I'm sure this wasn't the first idea that you had of how you could impact or change the world. Well, I think for one is I always wanted to, and I I can't remember the phrase you just used, but it, it was implied in what you said. I never wanted to assume that the way we did things was the right way and the way other people do things is the wrong way or that there's um, some inherent perfection or goodness, you know, just because I happen to come from America. Um, and so uh, I, so having the military experience, having the travel experience, one thing that I always want to do whenever I speak to someone is if I, if I'm able, if I have, if I have the insight is to is to open their borders a little bit or help them grow in some way or figure something out that maybe they hadn't figured out before. Um, and, and, and that's what really drives me is 
you know, can, is there just something, maybe I could just offer up some little thing I heard someplace that might help this person uh, in, in their current situation. And to never close my mind off to think, oh, that's right, or that's wrong, or especially that's wrong. I mean, it's very easy to, especially in the bipartisan sort of, uh, I'm yeah, sorry, the black in the partisan world that we're right, in the partisan world that we're in, yep. it's, it's, it's really, it's so easy to get into an echo chamber and whatever that little niche that you want, you can literally spend all day there, get all the media you want, have p- people and associates that are in there. And I just constantly want to push people outside of that little thing. Of course, it irritates a lot of people sometimes when I disagree with everything they say, but um, <laughs> that's, that's, that was sort of one of the, the takeaways of, of that experience. I didn't necessarily learn that type of wisdom until even just till 2022 hit and or 2020 hit when everything was kind of going crazy and black Lives matter was just getting legs under it and for me i learned the lesson that year that it's more powerful to understand how someone learned to see the world a certain way than for me to try to influence it um because like what i've learned and you learned this as well is that perspective is the most valuable asset that most of us never go after and I mean, think of how many people never read a book after college because they think education yeah. is done. And yet how many books are out there that perspective from Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, like these people that when you read them, you're like, man, this it, wisdom needs to be applied at a viral level today, but it's 300 years old. That perspective is most what we, people aren't seeking in life these days. Yeah, I really like what you said about you know h- how you learn or yeah, how you learned your situation versus what your situation is. Something we haven't discussed is after I got out of the military, something else the military taught me was that, well, it goes back to the original. I can do whatever I want to do. And I decided I had always been in high school, very mathematical. I learned computer programming as a young child. You know, I, I always had a technical science uh, skill set or or inclination, I should say. And when I got out of, high, uh, out, of, out of the military and started using my GI Bill, I became an English and philosophy major. So I actually have a master's in philosophy. So I, I just I decided at that point, you know, I'm not, I'm not just going to chase, I'm not going to get a degree for the money. I'm not going to do what I think I should do because I should be doing it. I'm going to, I want to learn, as you said, learn how to learn. I want to, I want to, I want to get the tools that will help me even further, even more than the confidence I already felt, but give me the academic tools to, to, to just go uh, wherever I want to go and do whatever I want to do. Learn how to think, not what to think. Yeah, that's, what that's, what that's we... the smart thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. I heard it on a uh, an Instagram reel the other day, and I was I like, see, Instagram full of wisdom, full of wisdom. And because he was essentially talking about our education system, how it, it teaches people what to think and not how to think, and all the media sources aren't telling you how to think, they're telling you what to think, which then just pollutes how you think and prevents you from seeing things any differently and just eventually getting your confirmation bias. And I loved how you also pursued something for perspective. And in the end, you still ended up having a system that produces monetary value that you didn't necessarily pursue directly. And I would argue that a lot of people do it the other way. They go into college, getting that paper to get something monetary on the other end, and it doesn't work. They ended up Either, either they find their way back to the military because they had a degree in bird migration and someone told them it wasn't going to work, or they have just something that was sold to them in a wrong way that doesn't apply in the real world. But perspective 
is one of those things that is never like, you just can't unlearn it to the point where it's never going to change how you influence and connect. And the reason why I have this podcast is because those little perspectives are often what I love doing the most. And outside of this podcast, I also have the business of fatherhood. And that one's a short daily podcast where it's just perspective after perspective. It's only me and the microphone over and over just sharing how I saw the world in different ways and how someone could benefit from that. I love, I love you said you can't change your perspective, right? That's, that's kind of the seed. That's the core. And then you, you carry that forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really neat. And as we think about where you're going next with your on trajectory program and what you're able to do with your software, mm -hmm. there's something that we could also go to that. I'm wondering how you had to learn through this. And I think if I were to take a guess, you had the visibility to get through it, but in order to be successful, you have to help other people see it as well that most people don't live for a week from today, a year from today, a decade from today. Most people are living for the next hour. And yeah. if they can get through the next hour, it's a win. I How think... have you learned to like work through <clears throat> that bias that people mm -hmm. uh, just outsource the future to whatever happens, happens? Yeah. So I, I agree with you that people's attention span is really short and they're not they're not thinking real far ahead. And I think it's for a lot of reasons. One, we live in a confusing and disturbing world where Russia could be invading or has already sent some troops over the eastern border of Ukraine this morning. Um, it, it's a scary world. It's also a world full of conflicting advice. Even, even you know, the realm I play in, in, in personal finance, you can get lots of different, you should get a Roth IRA. No, you should get a traditional IRA. No, you should, I mean, whatever. I mean, you got these. You should only people. invest in index funds. Right. <laughs> Which I think I do think is true. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with you on that one. <laughs> um, but uh, um, so much conflicting advice. So much, just the sheer volume of information is crazy. Uh, and, and then there's the trust. Do I see a financial planner? Can I trust this guy? Has this guy really got my best intentions at mind, in mind. Uh, you hear about people, fraud, scams, just, it's just, it is just such a myriad that I think compresses you into, well, I can't answer those questions out into this vague future, but I can answer what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, right? So, you know, maybe that's part of where there's this compression of time perspective comes from is because it's just so confusing, so weird and, and potentially dangerous. And honestly, I felt all of that. Um, so when I actually, when I finished my philosophy degree, I couldn't find a job. <laughs> Who knew? And uh, I told you, I, I had learned how to program when I was younger, when I was like 13 years old. And I just applied for uh, some technical work in the computer industry, in the IT industry. And I spent 25 years uh, in, this, in the IT industry. It wasn't until, um, well, I started on trajectory about seven or eight years ago. And it was because I, I had the, the chops as a, as a programmer and, and someone in IT. I didn't, tr I didn't really trust financial advisors, to be honest, too, too much. Um, I, I learned later that there are certain kinds that are much more trustworthy than others. Uh, but um, I, I, I just wanted to put the pieces together for myself. I wanted to create software that let me say, okay, if I, if I put this money in my 401k and I put this money in the college savings plan for my child, and if we decide to buy a house instead of rent a house, what does that do to my overall financial life? And once I came up with a, 
a methodology for doing that. I thought, well, I, I can't be the only person that, that sees this. This is a lo- really long answer to your question. So um, what I want to say, what the, the ultimate point that I want to make is if you do take the time to climb outside of that compressed time frame that we talked about, and you do kind of get your financial life out onto paper or in the computer or whatever, it really, it gives you some freedom. I think it gives back some freedom to enjoy the here and now, because I'm not, I'm not, re, I'm not repressing, Hey, how am I going to pay for X in X years? And instead of just ignoring it or repressing it, because if you ignore it or you, you repress it, it's still going to bug you, whether it's in, whether it's top of mind or not, it's going to, it's, 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 it's like that spyware on your Windows computer. It still takes it's RAM, a, even though it's running in the background. Exactly. So if you do have a plan and you do get it, just get it out. And even if you, even if the plan says, oh, well, you're not going to be able to afford private college for your kids, but you can, you can afford an in-state uh, school. And you're like, well, that's, that's a pretty good deal. I, you know, that's, that's giving me peace of mind. Now, all of a sudden that stress, I can let it go. And it's, it's not there anymore. And as long as I check in from time to time and I, I see what I'm doing. And so that's what I want to do. I wanted to, so that's what the software did for me. And that's what I would, you know, that's my, that's my thing. Now I quit, quit my corporate IT job a couple of years ago. And, and this is, this is what I want to do. One thing that I've learned, especially when I'm just coaching men is what we just talked about that trap of thinking the trap of the future, the, the, also the trap of the repeated patterns in the past. Like there's a lot of like just basic trauma of, I've always been this. I mean, there's a world where you didn't break out of your pattern and you just repeated how your life has unfolded up to you're 18 years old and you did the opposite. You broke that pattern and now you're creating an entirely different branch on your family tree. A lot of what I've learned when I when I walk through men through designing their legacy is a trick that I have to do. And I always describe it like a magic trick because sometimes it like happens in half of a second is they can't visualize what they want to do in the future, like they can't, they they just can't even visualize their life outside the norm. And I have to give them a million dollars. The moment you give them a million dollars, the floodgates open, like, oh, I would do this. I've had so many amazing, like one guy was wanting to do a a farm for kids that didn't have fathers and like show them how to work the land, show them like life skills, give them that leadership that they didn't have from a dad. And he works at a mail clerk place. And I was like, that's the exact opposite of what you're doing now but I had to give him a million dollars for him to access that. That the breaking outside that pattern that you actually have to redefine the rules of how you consider your life, like getting a million dollars isn't a normal thing that people are gonna get, but the moment they get it, their capacity to see the world differently instantaneously changes. Yeah, I think I think there might be something similar. So in, in, in the way that, you know, what I'm trying to do urges people to, get all their assumptions about the future out. Once you get those assumptions, now that I guarantee you all your assumptions, none of your, you know, no one's accurately predicting their life 40 years down the line, but just getting those assumptions out. It's like, I guess in a way, you know, it's like you're cashing out. Like, uh, like you said, once I have the million dollars, I'm, I have the freedom to, to be what I want to be. Once you get all your assumptions out, you get the freedom to start living them and, and maybe change them and, and, and realize that, that things are going to change. And what we're really talking about here is I hinted there, we're talking about legacy and tying it back to the military. One thing that, and I think this is why this interview is really impactful for military dads is because we focus on the legacy of our service 
while we're serving. And even while we're, especially if we lost someone or we had some type of traumatic event happen while we're serving, we continued to get haunted by finding meaning in those assumptions of like, what did it all matter? Like, why did I go there? And like, why did that person have to die? Why am I here? Which have no good answers. And we overlook the idea that legacy is your family, not your service. And I realized that in like first year and a half of like, this is like the big epiphany of what military members struggle with is we don't focus on the right legacy. And meanwhile, our life is generally going to blow up because we're going to get divorced because we can't show up and we're worried about all these demons inside our head, all these assumptions that are going to come true. And then you lose the one thing that matters most until then one day you realize, oh man, it was right there all in front of me. Yeah, that's that's a, a really good point. And to, to tie that back to what we said earlier, so I agree, your, your legacy is not a brick in a building or I was, I was a proud veteran. Uh, it, it is the people that you influence your family. I've got two little girls, uh, what their lives are going to be like, right. They're going to have kids and I don't necessarily need them to be pro-military, but I do need them to be pro self-sufficient pro. I can do pro correct mindset pro. I can get dirty and still overcome which is what I got from the military. And I'm sure coming from a military family, it, you know, it was pushed into me. And so, you know, definitely the legacy is not the, the past or, or, or serving, but there are little nuggets in there that I think it passed along inside the family unit, which is really important. And I think you just hit on a big point that I want to make sure every dad listens to and hits on and understands is, especially as a veteran, we've lived the world that less than 10% of the population has. We have a perspective, as we talked about, we have a depth to the world. We see the world through an eye of pain that most people never ever comprehend of what it's actually like. If we can convert those lessons and gift them to our kids, like you just mentioned, that ability is to create a better, more capable, stronger adult. And here's the crazy part, like what I struggled with, that belief word. If you can gift your kids and your daughters that belief to impact and understand how they can do it, the funny thing happens is they generally do. Like they have these skill sets to go out there and do it. And they know they don't get their value from Instagram. Like that's kind of like my basic value for my daughter or how I measure it when they're 18 is do they get their value from the outside world? Do they worry about the likes? Do they, are they good at okay dismissing someone's opinion? Like, especially like my oldest daughter is fourth grade. So we're kind of in the early days of just everything I would say. And there's so many times that kids will say things and will do things that mean kids do. And or even it happens with their brother, like they'll call each other stupid. And I'll tell them, I was like, well, are you? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, I'm just reinforcing all the time. Your opinion of yourself is the one that matters most. And you get to decide what you believe and what you choose. But man, is that like that early feeling of they're trying to fit in, but then trying to balance that with you already have everything inside you. And I'm sure your program even also cultivates that a belief of wherever your trajectory is going, you already have all the fruits and letters and everything you need inside you to do what you need to make that impact. It's just that inward ability to believe, perspective to even see that you have it, and then the courage to actually go out there and fucking do it. Yeah. I, I love what you said about uh, uh, being able to dismiss certain opinions. Uh, that was something I really struggled with when I was younger. Not so much anymore, but, um, you know, popular kid at school says something about my sneakers or whatever. Uh, I mean, I stressed about it hard. And um, I, I think what you said is, is really cool about, you know, 
in fourth grade, you know, being able to ignore the jibes of, of other, let's face it, there's some people that are assholes and we don't have to honor their opinions because we don't need to. Yeah. But then also like this real struggle is helping them understand, especially when it's like a person that they are friends with. Like yeah. that's even like, why yeah. do people hurt people that care about each other? Like there's so many nuances. And if you could answer that question, I think that would be really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and generally I always describe it to my daughter, hurt people, hurt people. And mm -hmm. just because someone's hurting you doesn't mean it's a reflection of who they are. It's just, yeah. it's because they're hurting inside and it feels like a natural reflex to do. And if you believe the person's good on the inside, then they are good. It's just right now they need a friend and they need to, to ignore the, the words that they're saying because they need someone to, to care about them often in those moments. Yep. That's good. There is another idea that kind of solidifies through all of this. And it's the hardest part as a veteran. I don't think it was probably so hard if I were to take a guess for your story, but finding value in our story, I think, because that's like the, the, that's why one of the very first things I started talking about this podcast is your story is your best asset to help teach your kids. And we often think we're incapable or we don't know how, or we don't read the manual and kids don't have a manual. So we just wing it. <laughs> and the reality is we already have everything just like we were just got done talking about. We already have everything we need to be a good dad, but finding value in that story is often the biggest struggle. And I tell me the stories I'm telling my daughter are my stories of struggling in different moments. And here's the crazy part that when you do these types of things, your kids get a chance to know you as well. And most kids have a, a disconnect from knowing who their dad is. And like I say, the worst case scenario often is when your kids are at your funeral, they're talking to one of your friends and they hear a story and they're like, damn it. Why didn't my dad tell me that? I would have loved to have asked him a question about it. To yeah. me, I've lost at that point. Like if my kids don't know the best parts of my life and my stories, they're missing out on how to draw wisdom from it. And they're not going to understand your legacy and it'll dry up on the vine and people won't remember you a couple of decades after you left. Yeah, you, you need to share. You got to share that stuff. And and you have to realize too that not everybody, you know, not everybody has the same valuableness at all times. You know, I learned some things earlier, I learned some things later. And just share what you got. Just share what you got. Just open it up and just like you're doing on this show. And and someone's gonna get a lesson from that. And, you know, hopefully your, your kids are gonna be the primary recipients of those lessons. And some things don't stick. That's the other thing with kids is like. I talked to my daughter for about meditation probably for like three years. And it wasn't until a month ago that she finally kicked the habit. And now she's been doing it for almost I feel like 45 days. I feel like her streak is on. That is so awesome. sometimes you just got to talk to your blue in the face. It's not like a PFC that there's going to do hopefully what you tell them immediately and then start figuring it out. It's something that you have to keep cultivating every single day and show up and almost not just, just get discouraged right away. That's another hard part of converting <laughs> so all this stuff. So, I, you know, in listening to your show, I know that you often ask uh, a dad, what was the thing about having kids that you got completely wrong? At least I heard it on a couple of them. And yep. so I, I had thought about it. I was like, well, if he asked me this question, what am I going to say? <laughs> and what you just said completely ties into what my answer would have been if you were going to ask me that question. What's your answer? What is the one thing <laughs> about being a dad that you had to throw out when you first started applying the book? So I wanted to be like a really cool parent. I wanted to be like easygoing, give, you know, give the kid enough rope to hang themselves kind of thing. Like just let them push the boundaries. 
But then when their boundary hit, that was it. That was okay. Now we're done. You, I gave you lots and lots of room. This is the, the boundary. Now you need to respect that boundary. And I thought, I don't know why I thought this. And in fact, I didn't realize how stupid this perspective was until I started thinking about this question for your podcast. <laughs> um, my thinking was they were going to respect the boundary because I was so easygoing. How stupid is that? Of course they're not, because I never set any other boundaries. Why are they going to? Why are they going to think that this is any particular difference? They're just going to push ahead. And I, I had to really unlearn. Well, no, what I had to do is I had to learn that I could still be the, a cool parent. I could still give the kids plenty of space and freedom to make some of their own mistakes. I think it's really, really important for people to make their own mistakes. If I tell you something's a mistake and you don't make this mistake yourself, you're never. Doesn't matter how many times I say. It. But as far as boundaries go, what I realized was, okay, let them, let them make mistakes, let them, da, 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 da. but you're going to have to reinforce that boundary again and again and again and again until it really becomes part of you know, who you are in your message with their, in your relationship and who they are. Uh, I didn't realize how many times I was going to have to repeat the same thing again and again. Uh, by the way, I'm glad your daughter caught on the meditation. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of meditating as well. And, and for me, it's not just sitting in a quiet room and, and doing it. It's in the grocery store aisle. It's in the airport when things are getting frustrated. It's, uh, there's a lot of times when I, when I use meditation techniques that are you know, kind of not normal, but anyway, I think it's great. And I love what you said about setting boundaries because I would say this new philosophy is slowly evolving, but I've had this idea that as I hear more and more crap that happens in the kids' schools of just like what other kids are doing, I've been having this feeling that like the outside world is already teaching kids that it's cruel. Why do I have to also join that bandwagon? <laughs> I agree with you. I absolutely like, agree with you. Yep. Because if the outside world is going to make them catch up on that feeling, no matter what I do, mm -hmm. why would I want to be a person that also gets into that? And so I've been kind of like it's a couple of thoughts that go in my head is shaping a feeling of love, like that that's one common feeling I want them to feel when they're at home, they're loved, safe, seen, heard, and understood. And I focus less sometimes on the boundaries. I draw the boundaries, but there's also times where I also recognize is this just the motion of like saying keeping it all together at school type thing where when they come home from school sometimes like the first thing is like ugh, the motions are flying off the handle that's not where i would draw a boundary right there yeah. they just need yeah. space to yeah. to yeah. let that yeah. emotion go and they just need to be loved despite that yeah. feeling they're having and so i've been trying to mirror that feeling of like i want them to feel loved no matter how they show up in my house because the outside world is going to confuse them enough and if i can teach them that feeling to me, that's like the one boundary that they should have in your house is in this house, no matter how I can show up consistently, I see a calm, cool, collective dad that shows me who I am, helps me understand and navigate through it. And no matter what I'm feeling, he'll be there to ground me in that storm that he's going through, especially for daughters. Like sometimes those emotional storms are just <laughs> ravaging crazy. And sometimes you can like, I remember early in my days, I would just get so hung up on like, punishing and like riding the bandwagon of timeouts and then realizing <laughs> like once you don't draw those boundaries and sometimes realizing it's like a three minute emotion if you mm -hmm. just let it rise up yeah. and come back down they would have gone right back to normal and you burn the house down for something that was a temporary feeling i, I, I think it's hard to measure and it's a out hard lesson one. it's a hard lesson but i had to learn it too yeah and especially with daughters like when my when i first lost my job in 2020 right before corona 
I was home with her for the next year because she was in preschool. And so she'd be home with me in the morning and I would take her to preschool in the afternoon. There was times where she would be emotionally upset about something in the morning and it would be just her. So I had this kind of like unique time with her that I now will cherish for the rest of my life. She would be crying or something and I would just sit next to her and hold her. I wouldn't say a single word. And I think that's like what we're talking about here. Like that's the feeling they need in your home more than you need you to be right. Yeah. And you know what, as far as needing to be right, I mean, you're a 30 or 40 or 50 year old man. What what do you need to be right with a four-year-old about? You can be wrong. It's, they're not going to, they're not going to know. I'll season that with most likely whatever age you are, you probably haven't figured out how life works. (laughs) What freaking right do we have to assume they have? The other thing I I just want to mention, because you reminded me when you were talking, I think it was Brian Tracy or some motivational speaker. He said that when no matter how angry he was at his kids and no matter what horrible thing they screwed up or what they did wrong, no matter how bad it was, when he went in and he talked to them, he said, first off, I love you. Second, we got to talk about this, this thing that you did. Yeah. Grounding in that love. Cause like I said, like the outside world is already going to teach him and it's almost pretty much a certainty. The outside world is going to teach him. There's a lot of good in the world, but early on in those worlds, the kids are going to learn that there's a lot more cruel in the world. So like to me, it's, it's, it's more psychologically, psychologically safe to have them feel grounded at home. And then as they grow up and find the good in the world, because it does exist, it's just hard and it combines classroom that continues to make uh, fighting for your popularity every day uh, vent. That to me, like that's the, and we're both still in the early days of uh, the incubator lab here, but more and more I see this play out, the more and more I feel like that with my daughter 16 or 17, like there's a thought that I often play to is that I want her to be at a party, know that it's feel like not safe and know a hundred percent that she can call me and that we're going to make it better. But if you weren't there for the little things or you scared her in the little things, she's going to remember that when it's a big things. Yeah. Or when you get in yep. an accident, the same idea. Yeah. Yep. And, and what you said about um, um, there is a lot of you know, goodness in the world, it occurred to me that unless you really instill someone that there is goodness and you give them the tools to see the goodness and you teach them how to figure out what's actually good and what only maybe looks good and is not really good, unless you've, you've given your kids those tools, they're not going to be able to experience that, that same kind of joy and happiness in their life. I'll tie it back to your software. Your software, I would take a big bet, helps identify a path towards goodness. And if you don't invite that into your life, you're not showing your kids a path of how to find it in theirs. I love I that's that. That's why the... Every you need time a I, job? I, Come on over to Home Trajectory. <laughs> this, this, is, this is great stuff. Uh, I think when I think of every time I talk to a dad who's kind of just going through the repeat uh, mindset, I'm just like, until you invite life in your life, they're not going to learn to invite it in theirs. And your kids may, will probably turn out fine, but they're not going to ask more from life. They're not going to reach for a farther than they have ever thought. They're not going to go past their comfort zone if they didn't see dad do it. If they saw, I mean, I don't know where my kids are going to think their dad is a podcaster when they were younger, but when they're <laughs> older, hopefully it understands and like you can put your voice on the world and you can say things and make an impact and not worry about what other people say. And, uh, and, and it, Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, because what you just said, I was thinking, you know, they're going to have this wonderful, huge archive. And then I got to thinking of one of your guests, Ken Wimberly, with his, you know, with his well, legacy app. Yeah, that right, was right. Perfectly and, and designed you're creating podcast. a legacy for your children just by having this podcast and stories and wisdom. And like, I mean, 
hopefully it's, this is all still here and it doesn't get deleted somehow. But <laughs> like these, everything here is like a chance to know me. And um, I think the most powerful question that we can ask or prepare our kids for, whether we're here or whether we're gone, is giving them the tools to ask, what would dad do? And be able to understand what would dad do? And if they don't know dad, they can't answer that question. Yeah, that's really true. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I hate to wrap up this interview. This web interview definitely is one of those that could go on forever because I feel like we both are very passionate about making sure that our legacy is a certain way, understanding that it's on target to where it needs to land mm -hmm. and that we do it on purpose and intentionally. And if you That's don't make intention behind it, you, you, don't, you don't cross those mile markers by accident. They, they happen because you point your vehicle in those directions and you get there where you need to go. I have one question for you though. Sure. If you have one piece of advice that you want to make sure every dad learns from the, the hard lessons of your life as a dad, what dad advice do you want to make sure everybody gets out of your experience so far? Well, what I'll, I'll, I'll tie this back into personal finance since that's kind of my thing at the moment. Um, you've heard the phrase, uh, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe or, or something to that effect. Probably heard that before. Well, the reason that's a, that's a thing is because you get interest on your interest. And then you get interest on your interest on your interest, right? So it's just this thing that, that mushrooms. I believe that the same thing about stress and happiness. If you've got a lot of stress in your life, it's going to increase and increase and increase. Or if it's happiness, it's going to increase and increase. You're going to get interest on one of them, either the stress or the happiness. So I try to always tell people it's going to build. So let it be the happiness to find ways to get rid of the stress, whether it's making a financial plan, doing some, some meditation, maybe both, um, you know, that that's the seed that you want to grow, not the, the bad stuff. And I would even tie that to fatherhood, that if you compound the, the memories you make, those memories compound additional wisdom that over and over time, they'll understand how to lead themselves and just slowing down and just saying to hell with them. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat at this computer and be like, you know what, nothing's going to productive happening in the next hour. And we go for a bike ride. And that bike ride is where I'll have the next idea. And it yes. wasn't at my computer. Yes, and that's it's, absolutely right. It's that compounding idea of like, go to a place where your energy increases, like the law of attraction. Like when you get your energy and your vibration at a higher level, you start attracting different kinds of things. And compound interest is almost just this compounding effect of you are attracting more of whatever you're thinking about. And it's compounding every day. Yep. And anybody that's lived paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't feel like it's a flat line. It feels like you're digging a hole and you're getting yeah. lower and lower, even though every week it's paycheck to paycheck, doesn't get any deeper in the negatives on your bank account. But man, does that stress level get more and more and more. Well, Tyson, if people want to find out more about On Trajectory, where is the best place to dive into what you're up to and to find more about it? Sure. Just check us out at ontrajectory.com. If you want to you know, kick the program around, there's a free 14-day trial, no credit card or anything like that. If you just want to reach out to me, I'm T-Y, Ty, at ontrajectory.com uh, or LinkedIn, uh, Tyson Casca. You can find me as well. Well, I appreciate you coming on and I'll include all of those links down in the show notes for anybody wanting to check them out or send Tyson an email and learn more about how to get your life back on track. And to put a bow on it of design your legacy that's worth remembering. And that doesn't happen by accident. Thank you again for coming on the podcast today, Tyson. It's been great, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope that you got everything out of that episode that I did and then some. What is my big takeaway? 
is right when he talked about his military transition and talking about what he took away from it was this ability that he could do anything that he put his mind to. And I loved this little wormhole we went down when we were talking about my inability to kind of think that way and his ability to think that way. What we don't often think of is that's ultimately what the military taught us. It taught us how to live and it gave us an abundance mindset to really frame exactly what was going on. It was teaching us how wide, how big the world really was. But also it was teaching a little bit of how maybe irrelevant you are, that you are just a number. But in the context of how you can own your life going forward, owning your numbers in the idea of is on trajectory, pun intended there, and understanding that you can do anything when you put your mind to it, that that kind of personal freedom is accepted into your life when you realize that you don't have to be a number. There are ways to get beyond this. There are ways to live beyond the numbers. There are ways to live other than paycheck to paycheck. So what I want you to really take away from my big takeaway and this interview is really look at what the beginning part of your transition was going in the military and what was your post-transition feeling leaving the military because you were someone with goals going in and contrasting that to who you were on the outside when you left, that is so important. There is so much value and gold that you can determine from leaving the military, comparing it where you started. And then also, what do you feel is possible because you joined the military? That is a big question. What do you feel that this makes possible in your life now that you've added this whole new set of things to your life, this experiences, the width, the depth of how you see the world, what becomes possible? Guys, that is all I have for you this week. I'll be back again with you another episode next week. As always, have an amazing week, and I'll talk soon.